Hello and welcome to another Bear Books episode with me, April Berry. And me, Daisy Ray. Where we read, review and interview indie authors. This time, we've read Paper Castles written by B. Fox. We know nothing about this particular author, and that's just the way they like it. What, like Stig off Top Gear? Except that nobody actually knows who's behind the pen. (laughs) Yeah, if you like. No preconceived ideas about this book based on the author's gender or age. Words are all they have. It's an unprecedented process for us, but I like it. We've both read the book and we've written our individual reviews and we don't discuss this part of the process, just to put that in there, because we don't want to influence each other in any way, shape or form. And then we sent a set of questions across to the author, B. Fox, based on what we've read, and they sent back their replies. Simples. What she said. So that's how we're going to present B. Fox to you today. Daisy will read you a snippet of the book, and I'm going to read a little snippet as well, so you get an idea for yourself of the writing style, then you can listen to our uninfluenced first thoughts and reviews. Then we'll have the interview and see if that changes our thoughts in any way. Because it was all written word, what we have got is Sydney Strong, who is another podcaster who works with indie musicians like we work with indie authors, also does all of our music since we started the podcast. It will be Sydney's voice that you hear answering on B Fox's behalf. I like the fact that we're now going to hear the voice behind our music. Anyway, come on, get your little bit of your book read. This is my reading from Paper Castles. It's not a very long one, but I think it's a nice one to give you a little bit of a flavour of B. Fox's writing style. And this is from Chapter 24. It's late at night when I roll up my sleeves and get to work. No newspapers this time. Only stainless white paper can create the image I saw today. After hours of folding, cutting and gluing, my eyelids start to become heavier and heavier. They begin to protest, threatening to fall shut at any moment. And when they do, I solve the problem with yet another cup of coffee. My head nearly hits the table on more than one occasion and I make myself another cup of coffee. One more, one more, one more. How many have I had? I'm not sure. I've stopped counting after the fifth. I seriously need to cut down on the coffee. But let's take care of that another day. Right now, I need to do whatever it takes to make it through the night. If I'm to exceed my own expectations, by all means, no art comes from sleeping too long. This is for her, for the girl at whose side I feel like I have nothing to prove. I'm doing it for the set of eyes that see more in me than what I am and for the pair of hands that make me feel that for once I'm not out of place. I want to remember that feeling she gives me and hold on to it forever because that's the kind of thing that gets you through a bad day, a bad week, month or year or even through a whole bad existence. I don't know if I'll ever get to be the things I want to be. I think I might not. Maybe dreams are all I can build. But if that's as far as I'll ever get, and if everything's created only to be destroyed, then at least I want her to have a piece of me, something that will let her know who I was during this lifetime. So when the good times have come to an end, 
and all the memories have gone astray. She will still own the only thing I have to give away. She will have my soul and I will live forever between those paper walls. I think that reading that you've just done sums up what I'm going to be saying in my review. I, I think there's a lot of deeper meaningful in this book. Yeah, I think there is. I think it's more about the emotional side of life than the physical doing side of life. It's about yeah. how everybody feels and the way that their emotions are played with or battered or improved. However you read it or whatever you look into in any given chapter, really, it is. It's an emotional book, top to bottom. It is. One of the things that I noticed that the reaction, their emotional reactions don't always fit in with the situation they're in. Maybe so, yeah. He has got a long way to go. He is at the beginning of his emotional journey, I feel. Although he's been through a lot with the death of his mother and his father's reaction to that, I still feel like he's at the beginning of his emotional life. What are you going to be reading? I'm reading something from the beginning of the book, actually. And I think most probably, like you say, at the beginning of his emotional journey. All in all, I'm not the most talented there is. I'm actually pretty average. If you look the word up in a dictionary, you'll probably find a picture of me, a guy of average height, average weight, and average grades at school. I'm a random nobody with more flaws than virtues. I suck at a lot of things, including love. And the only thing I ever truly excelled at was the drafting and design class in college. Now that I hear myself saying it, I think I might be closer to an underachiever. But my drawings and scale models are the one thing I'm truly proud of. And it's not so much about the outcome, it's about the process itself. Whenever I'm at it, there's a rush of adrenaline going through my bloodstream. It's the only time I ever feel like I'm being myself. The only time I feel I'm doing something right. I'm creating something. I'm giving life to something that was nothing but a picture in my mind. Out of the nothingness that were the shadows and fog, an image appeared. That image became a drawing and finally it came alive in the shape of paper. I think there is something quite miraculous about that. I mean, isn't it amazing how humans can create things out of thin air? I imagine this is the way other types of art are created as well like music for example before it can be written someone must have actually heard it in their heads there was nothing but they listened and they heard something they wrote it down they added lyrics and then they played it for millions of people to hear to me that sounds a lot like a miracle but i'll let you decide what it is what i'm absolutely sure of is that i could do this all night long Hell, I could do this for the rest of my life. The hours go by as I cut and fold and glue, and I completely lose track of time until I eventually start to get sleepy. I can't keep my eyes open for much longer. I set the finished pieces down on the window ledge next to a dozen others I've made since I came back to Westland. Soon I won't be able to fit any more of these inside my room. I wonder what it would be like to turn these models into real buildings transforming fantasy into reality. Maybe one day I'll see them in magazines with my name right next to them. Maybe one day I'll be able to say that my dreams came true. For now, paper is all they are. 
As I finally go to bed long after midnight, all I can think of is that I've made it through another day. Maybe if we could live one day at a time, life wouldn't be so terribly frightening. Or maybe this is just the glue I inhaled tonight that's talking out of me. Whatever it is, I close my eyes and drift off to sleep in the hope that somehow everything will sort itself out tomorrow. I think you're right. That is quite a poignant piece that you've read there. I also think that the paper castles are where James pours all of his anxiety and all of his emotion and everything that he can't cope with. It's like a switch or like, like people use art for mindfulness, that sort of thing. So I think the longer he sits there and builds his paper castles and pours everything into them, the less he has to deal with in his day-to-day real life and he just packs it away. Yeah, and I was, get, I was getting a little bit frustrated with him, to be honest, because if he could put as much energy into his life yeah. as he puts into creating these models, or he actually realises that these models could give him a good life. Because it's fairly evident that he's, he's got a real creative gene about him in terms of architecture. And I just wanted to say, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Okay, so hold that thought then. And what I think we should do is have your review first on the back of your reading. Okay. My review of Paper Castles. So when I started reading this book, my initial thoughts were many and varied. I also must add that I felt a massive rush of guilt when I came to the end, knowing that my review was going to include the words, the book's not for me. Being completely honest, if I hadn't been reading the book for the podcast, I doubt I would have finished it. But I persevered. I've got to strongly reinforce that it is a personal opinion, this, and that in no way reflects on the writing of the book. It is really well written, very clever, and I think it actually captures the essence of its age. The story did provide quite a lot of deep thinking from me, the references to coffee, something that's mushroomed over the years, the ritual of stopping off for coffee on the way to work. In my day, you just made a cup of coffee, put it in a flask and took it with you. The norm now, though, is to pop into the coffee shop and you can get coffee in all different guises. And there was a lot of reference to coffee throughout the book. There was also reference to shoes as well, but that's something I've not included in this review. What was apparent was that James is trying to win the approval of his father, which has been a thing from childhood when he wanted to copy his father. Absolutely, James appears to idolise him. But all of the interactions with his father appear to be around the facts of James and unemployment. The book actually took back to my teenage years, not that I can relate with James, but it made me think I was taking an English exam because I began to look for meanings in the story. Like you did at school, what did Shakespeare mean? What did the nine modern poets mean? And that's what I started to think about in this book. Surely the story had a hidden meaning and wasn't just about a 20-something individual who seemed to hate his life, who just lived from day to day with no real impetus to change. And I got the impression that change happened to him, not that he facilitated it. I then began to wonder if the book was in some way autobiographical, as the author is actually steeped in mystery. I was also quite intrigued by the relationship with Karen. It made me quite melancholy, but then most of the book made me feel like that, especially the ending. 
To sum it up, the book wasn't fast-paced enough for my taste, but it was well-written, easy to follow. And it actually made me feel at times that I was living James's life. A good read if you like that kind of thing, but I prefer bloodshed and killing, not deep and meaningful, which this book has in spades. And it is very topical right now. The world is very big on mindfulness, and quite rightly so, we've spent two years as isolated beings in our little bubbles and not socialising in lots of ways. It's been a difficult couple of years and I think something as emotional as this is quite a good thing, really. Yeah. yeah. Although I've said the book wasn't for me, it brought a reaction out in me that I was quite shocked about. Well, then it worked. It did its job, didn't it? Yeah. It gave you an emotional reaction and it's made you think about things. Hmm. What did you think of it? My review then for this book, I'll start off by saying I think it's a beautifully written tale that is a relatable emotional journey. Firstly, I'm a fan of the simplicity of this story. It centres around the main character James's feelings and issues as much, if not more, than it centres around his actions. It's all very authentic, which I think may be the point. James is a total idealist and dreamer struggling to get a job. Is more than a little disjointed from the real world. Leaving his shoes in the park is a fine example of how his head is stuck in the clouds. It has a wonderful way of seeing the world how he wants it to be, larger and brighter than reality. He also has a gift of manifesting his imagination into literal paper buildings made from pizza boxes, newspaper, scrap paper. The Paper Castle, that is the title of this story, has a short sad existence that is shown about the same amount of love and attention from James's dad as James does himself. James has quite a complex personality. On one hand, he knows what he wants and is happy to hold out for the best, displaying the insular selfishness of your average teenager, which is a bit old for in his late 20s. Having a little insight or compassion for what his family is living through. On the other hand, he doesn't really think a great deal of himself, which is only emphasised by his father's behaviour. He just sort of floats from day to day. As the book progresses, though, we learn more about James and how he's lived an emotionally bereft life since the death of his mother five years ago. Well, more than just emotionally bereft, more like he's had no support at all from his arse of a dad, who has spent the last five years blaming James for everything that is wrong with his life falling deeper and deeper into the destructive life of an unhappy, violent drunk. We also meet Karen, a slightly clichéd, mouthy waitress with a good heart. She's a storyteller, which makes her the perfect love interest for a dreamer. It's a very real-world, slow-burn relationship, which again ties into the authentic vibe of the story. No actual dates, just a gradual understanding of one another. The majority of this relationship is read between the lines. But I will say it was all very real and I did want the two of them to make it work. I won't say anything about whether they do or they don't. You'll find that out if you read this. Towards the end, it read like it was setting up for me to expect a happy ending. But in reality, it left me a little bit heart sore. The epilogue came up too short. I wanted more from that. It said what it needed to say, just to be clear. But the dreamer part of this reader that totally got James, really would have liked some solid emotional happiness. 
which would have been heartwarming, but it turned out to be so realistic that I couldn't help but be a little impressed. And I will keep an eye out for more from this author. You actually read that review with actually as much emotion as was in that book, to be honest. It was kind of coming across like you you felt really sorry for James. I did relate to him up to a point. Yeah. I do get how hard it is when the world you think you should be living or the life you think you should be living inside your head is not the one that you're actually living in real life. And you don't know if you're ever going to be living the life you want to be living. Are you even good enough to get there? Do you have the skills? It's hard. And then if you realise you don't, then what do you settle for? And these are like everyday real issues that everybody lives every day. I think you've actually delved quite a lot into this book, haven't you, when you've been reading it? And it comes across. You see, I just think, get up off your backside, go out, find a job, and get your head in the real world rather than in a dream world. And you're... What I get from you is that you're wanting that dream world to exist and perhaps questioning why it doesn't. Well, why doesn't it? Why can't we make it so? The problem is, if we make our world that we live in into whatever is in our own mind, then the life we are living won't relate to the people around us because we're not living in the real world, per se. Well, if I was living the life in my head that I wanted to be, I'd be on an Hawaiian island somewhere with Meryl Streep. That was very honest. (laughs) I love that. That's so funny. (laughs) Can we move on to our actual interview with Sedor for now, please? (laughs) Of course we can, yeah. Absolutely. Just as a reminder then, this is the part where, because we haven't met or spoken to the author ourselves, we did a written interview where we sent questions to B Fox and B Fox sent answers back, which is fantastic. It's lovely to still have their point of view. So the voice you'll be listening to during the interview will be Sydney Strong, who does the music for Bear Books podcast and is also a podcaster themselves for indie musicians called DIY is Dead. Little plug there for Sydney. This is the interview then. in B Fox in gently with the first question. A good chunk of our listeners are writers, and one thing we all like to know is what your writing process is like. Do you write daily, as inspired, to music, writing longhand, or something we just haven't thought of? When I'm working on a project, it's always just one at a time. For me, that's the only way to really connect with my characters. I write every day for several hours, and even when I'm not writing, I keep the story in the back of my head, like a movie playing over and over again. Before I get to work, I need lots of coffee and really loud music. I use music instead of drugs to get high, if you know what I mean. I try to put myself in the mood of the scene I'm going to write. I need to become the character, and only then I can start. When I can't figure out how to solve something that's bothering me, I go for a run, come back to my desk, and so many times it's solved by then. Although this is a work of fiction, are there any autobiographical inspirations in there? A lot of people who've read Paper Castles have wondered about this too. It's funny because James and I actually have a lot less in common than most people might think. To some extent, inspiration was drawn from some of the things I have seen and experienced throughout my life. In that sense, Paper Castles is an intimate story and will probably be the most intimate story I'll ever write. The specific events, however, are not related to my own experiences, or only very loosely. Are any of your characters based on people that you know? 
No, I wouldn't say so. I prefer to think of my characters as collages. I use bits and pieces of myself and of people that I've come across at some point in life and put them all together. Then I add some entirely fiction elements to the mix and that way I create original characters which, I hope, don't resemble anyone I know. What demographic did you write this book for? I asked because I'm old enough to be James's parent and I did feel like I wanted to sit him down and have a word. I wrote paper castles for my own generation. I'm a millennial and this book is for my fellow millennials. But surprisingly enough, the biggest fans this story has found so far are much older than that. The paper castles from the title of the book are fascinating. As fragile as James's state of mind. Was that intentional? The paper models are a symbol. Rather than his state of mind, they represent James's dreams. They're meant to show their pure and fragile nature and... They're also the only thing he has left to cling on to. Neither one stood the test of time in this story. Was that because we seldom do gain the strength to do so in the real world? You say that neither one stood the test of time in this story. Or maybe they did. I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't read the book yet, so I will just say this. Think about the final scene and the last thing that is said, and then ask yourself again. Did James's dreams really go up in smoke? What inspired you to write fiction that was so closely related to real life rather than escapism? I wanted people to feel seen. I wanted to give them something they could relate to because even though James is quite unique, he is really just the guy next door. He is someone you can cheer on, not because he is Superman, but because he is everything but that. He is as clueless and insecure, weak and vulnerable as we've all felt at some point in our lives. And that, I believe, is something that we can find comfort in. So rather than offering people a story through which they can escape reality, I wanted to join them in that reality and make them look at it through a different set of eyes. What was the significance of the shoes? I'm glad you asked about the shoes. Everything is in the details. The shoes are simply a way of showing how disconnected James is from the real world. Anyone who forgets their shoes is someone who doesn't live up to the traditional standards and if we met someone like that in real life we'd say, hey, what the hell is wrong with that dude? The, the shoes can also symbolise the expectations that society has of us. James essentially wears the shoes because he has to, because that's what people do, and because it would be totally unacceptable if he didn't. If you ask him though, he actually feels much more comfortable without them. James's dad was like a ticking time bomb. For me, he was the big character in this story, and I'd have liked to see more of him. Was he the antagonist of the story? Or my other thought was, is James both the protagonist and the antagonist inside his own head? Yes, you got it right. Henry is the big character in this story, and the one with the deepest and most complex wound. So who is the antagonist in this here? I think both Henry and James are. On the one hand, James is his own antagonist, as you say. However, the fears and doubts that live inside his head were put there by his dad. Now, I don't mean to say that Henry has done it on purpose. In fact, he has done most of it in a completely passive way, just by being who he is. He sets the bar so high that James has convinced himself he's not good enough. His train of thought is this. If my dad could, and I can't, there must be something wrong with me. It's me who's failed. And that thought is what keeps him from moving forward. What I want to know is, was this a standalone story or is there going to be a follow-up? This is without a doubt a standalone story, not a chance of a follow-up. Unless people write fanfiction, which they are very welcome to do. 
And finally, is there anywhere online our listeners can go to to get to know you better? Yes, there is. I'm on Twitter and you can find me there at B underscore Fox 1989. That's the one platform I've chosen and I'm glad to interact with readers as well as fellow authors. I thought those answers were actually quite insightful into the author and the, the characters in the book. Yeah, yeah. Relatable that they use like collages of all the people that they've met and then add in more ingredients to create the fictional characters. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I, I picked up on that as well. And the other thing that I, that I picked up on was that the paper castles were his dreams and not his state of mind. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? What you take from a book is not necessarily what the author's written into it. Yeah. I thought it was like a mindfulness thing, like people use art for mindfulness to switch the brain off and cope with the way that their mind is wearing away 10 to the dozen when they want it to shut up. I took stuff from the book that wasn't necessarily meant to be taken. And now I've reread the last sentence of the book after having listened to the interview, the last sentence of the book means so much more. Yeah. I was quite quick to write that off there, thinking that it was a fail, when it necess wasn't necessarily, was it? No, not necessarily. Yeah. Massive thanks to B Fox for being part of our journey. If you've read Paper Castles, why not pop across to our Twitter, at BearBooksPod1, and let us know what you think about it. Did you take stuff from it like we did, or did you read it as it was meant to be read? Share your opinions. We'd love to read those. Yes, and thanks ever so much from me too. And don't forget, you can contact the author too. They're also on Twitter, at B underscore Fox 1989. Also, just to tease you, the next book up for review on the podcast is Remember the Butterfly by Rebecca L. Marsh, and that's coming out at the end of February. Yeah, the podcast, the podcast. I mean, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even available yet, the book, that is, not the podcast. Obviously, we haven't made the podcast yet. The book is due to be released on the 10th of February. But anyway, before we get ahead of ourselves, we've got a flash fiction episode out on the 15th of February. The writing prompt, our second for this season, is a photograph that we've posted on all our social media. So go over and have a look at it and see what the image inspires in you. Submissions have already started to come in for this one. Our one in particular is a real standout. Can't wait to share the best of those stories with you. If you want to join in, just send your story between 500 and 1,000 words to submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. And even if you've never written before and you're looking for the perfect place to start, here we are. So we'll see you all next time on the 15th of February with your stories. Take care and take care of each other. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. Bearbooks.